Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. A little bit of a treat today. We've got uh, both Michael Lombardi and Paul Gallant. I recorded with Paul on Wednesday. Gosh, maybe it was Tuesday. So we discussed Odell Beckham Jr., who at the time had just been signed. Most of it, though, isn't uh, really dependent on when we recorded it. We were talking a whole lot about just general NFL topics, so still noteworthy, but I had a whole bunch of audio issues that I needed the advice of a professional to, to fix, so that is all fixed. It should be sounding pretty good. We start off with Michael Lombardi. I wanted to get his opinion of what Jalen Ramsey has been saying. Jalen Ramsey, the defensive back, the magnificent cornerback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, has spouted off a whole bunch about various opponents this offseason. And in this article by Mina Kimes on ESPN.com, uh, he kept at it. This is a notable one because he took on one of the giants of the game, Rob Gronkowski. Quote, I don't think Gronk's good. Let me say, I don't think Gronk is as great as people think he is. Anytime Gronk has been matched up with a corner, he's had a very bad game, and that corner has had a very good game. Unquote. He actually put time and energy into this. He had the analytics people uh, look into all this before the Jaguars played the Patriots last year. So Michael will weigh in on that. Also, I would encourage all of you who are listening and enjoying this to subscribe on iTunes or at radio.com. Just search radio.com, Deceptively Fast Podcast. If you're not an Apple user, if you're an Apple user, iTunes is the simple way to go. And if you're so inclined, I'd love it if you'd give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, Leave some comments. That's always really awesome. Without further ado, here's Michael Lombardi. Michael, uh, I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now because I just read this article on ESPN from Mina Kimes about Jalen Ramsey. And I, I need to get your perspective on a GM who has a star player who won't stop like talking very specific and public smack about various players around the league. You know, I, I, you know it's, look, it, it's hard to control some guys and the way they talk, but I think this, this really smacks in the best interest. You know, there's that thing in all players' contract called contact detrimental, and this borders on being detrimental to the team because it's not what you want. It doesn't represent it, and I think the only way they're going to get it handled down there is to have that kind of conversation with Jalen Ramsey. Look, I'm not saying we have to stifle – all people's words. I mean, this isn't a a fascist government here or a communist place. However, that being said, we're in a team environment. And why would we want to give people the opportunity to have uh, things to use against us when we have to compete against them? And I think it's really not in the best interest of the team. And especially when it comes to players like Rob Gronkowski, I I actually have just an X's and O's objection to what he said. He, He said something about Gronk and then he dialed it back a little bit. But then he said, anytime Gronk has been matched up with a corner, he's had a very bad game. And that corner has had a very good game. I mean, that's not actually accurate. But also... 
there's an element to, hey, if you have to use a corner to cover a tight end, you've already lost a little bit as a defense. You know, how did you do in the rush defense that day? You know, I, I don't understand that. Like, I, 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 the Patriots want a corner to cover Gronk. Yeah. I mean, the, first of all, it's basketball, right? You get a 5'10 guy covering a 6'6 guy, who's winning? You know, Gronk has trouble with guys that have length, and, and Gronk has trouble with guys that don't understand how to play the ball down the field. Uh, you, you know, I mean, with guys that know how to play the ball down the field. And so Gronk's a, you know, look, Gronk's not a in-and-out route receiver. Gronk has to build speed as he runs, and then he utilizes his size to get open. And that size always affects little corners. And if they have a corner covering them, they'll run the ball right at him, and Gronk will block him, and it won't be any, it won't be any problem. Right, exactly. You just you end up with this numbers mismatch, which is exactly what they want. Uh, I, the other part I think about it with Jalen Ramsey is, man, at some point, like after you've talked smack about every single guy in the league, and not just like run of the mill smack, but detailed scouting reports, some of these guys are going to end up on your team at some point. It's that kind of league. Yeah, I, I I don't understand what his agenda is, and I think they gotta they gotta have a conversation with them. I mean, this is not in the best interest of their football team. So this doesn't help their football team. And if he wants to be a commentator like you and I, then he should stop playing and go into it. You right. know, people will probably pay for him to do that. He will be very good at that someday if he chooses to do it. I'm guessing if he stays healthy, he's gonna have just a boatload of money, and I don't I don't know if he'll care to do that. Uh, Michael Kendricks, who is now implicated in insider trading. I'm wondering if you ever had anybody with insider training on the rap sheet. Uh, <laughs> this seems like one of the weirdest ones. I was going through my mind. I couldn't remember anybody. I had to talk quite a few guys out of hoaxes at various times, like where they were going to get bilked out of money because of phone card scams or things like that. But I can't remember a guy actually being involved in something like this. No, and you know, there's like a lot of guys lost money on that land deal. I think you were probably down there with Mark Brunel on that all that property in Alabama. Oh you yeah, know, that was yeah. They had that advisor that led him astray. Yeah, yeah. and that you know that's more not that it's commonplace, but that's when you know guys have been hurt by it. And so, uh, and so I think that you know I, I've not heard it. I mean, to me, the question of this really comes down to now they released Kendricks today, and the Browns said they knew there was an investigation, but they had didn't know the depths of it. And so I wonder, did the Eagles know? How much did the league know about this? Like, to me, the when of this is really as interesting as the how of this. And, you know, and the Browns released him today, which tells you that, you know, he's obviously uh, not in their plans for this year, and they're going to try to get their million dollars back because they were, in their words, they were not told about this situation. So there's a lot going on here. I mean, it's almost TV series type of stuff going on. And, but I've never heard of it like that. I've never heard of a guy making a foray of $80,000 and turning into $1.2 million. What was the worst phone call you ever got at 2 a.m. about a player? Oh, man. You know, typically, you know, look, I'm so old. I've been in the league before we had Uber and before we had, you know, uh, the, the crack, the, the limousine services. So, you know, the drunk the, getting arrested for drunk driving was always a, a concern in the morning. And then, you know, the the whole arguments with, with you know, you know, going out to a bar and getting into fights and stuff like that. But I, I think one time I had a player fight another player at a bar at 2 in the morning, and, and the fight got ugly, and, you know, it really hurts the team when that happened. And those are the kind of things you want to avoid at all costs. That might have been one of the hardest situations I ever had to deal with as a player, as a veteran player, was when we had two guys get in a fight, um, and, and one of the guy actually needed 
facial reconstructive surgery because of it. And you get into that whole he said, she said of it all, the fact that one guy's suing another guy. And it's uh, it's way more complicated when it's two guys within the same building. And I can't no imagine doubt. what it's and like. It become, yeah, and you got to make a decision. And, and, and you know, it's, it, 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 it's sputtered out there. I just It's just hard to – those are hard things to handle if you're building a team. So Aaron Rodgers gets his deal yesterday. I don't think that probably surprised you much. I had a couple people ask me – about the theory that, um, you know, we hear a lot that one of the reasons the Patriots have been able to do well is that Tom Brady has taken a, a discount, whereas some of these other teams have quarterbacks that are making 11 or 12% or more of the salary cap on their team and that it's impossible to build a team around somebody like that. Or, or when you have that situation, where do you fall on that? Well, I think that, look, Tom has been very, very good about what he's done for the team. I think everybody at the Patriots has taken a slight discount to be there. It's a little San Antonio Spurs-ish in terms of how they've done it. And, but what the Patriots don't do, the Patriots are willing to say goodbye to guys when they, get too much, when they start to make too much money and they can't afford it. The Patriots would rather have a bunch of guys making 4 and $5 million than having four guys making $10 million. Right. They value depth, and they value having those. And I think when you look at the Eagles last year, a lot of those guys that helped the Eagles team were on one-year contracts. They took them at a reduced number, and it helped their depth of their football team. I think that's part of the Patriot way. And, yeah, Brady has taken less, and it's hard. I think, look, you know, great quarterbacks, really, this whole thing, Kirk Cousins is really the impetus behind the money of quarterbacks going up because the Redskins, and really Bruce Allen, it did the league no favors. I mean, Bruce Allen is the reason why quarterback salaries are being driven up because he miscalculated Kirk Cousins' deal. He miscalculated Kirk Cousins. He kept putting the franchise tag on him, which drove that number up, which then may, which 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 ended up paying for a guy who's a good player, but no one thinks Kurt's a great player. Mm-hmm. Kurt's a system player. You know, he went to a team that has really good defense, that's really good in, on on special teams, that, that wants to run the ball, that plays in a dome, perfect setting for him. Look, I said this, I wrote about this on The Athletic, if the Vikings thought that Teddy Bridgewater was going to be as healthy as he ended up, I think they would have signed him and not Cousins. They just never thought Bridgewater was going to be completely healthy. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you know, the price of Cousins drove everybody up thanks to Bruce Allen, and because of that, now we see – Garoppolo got a huge deal. Then Matt Ryan got a huge deal. And then Aaron Rodgers finally got a huge deal. So this is the way the system was intended to work. And the Redskins really helped the system further it along. I think it really was the benefit of that deal, those deals. Those players can hate the franchise deal all they want. But when they play to the level that Cousins did, it almost makes it worse for the team. And it helps everybody else in the league. Mm-hmm. Well, bringing it back to Teddy Bridgewater then, I was surprised that the Saints were willing to pay as much as they did for a guy who's only on a one-year contract. And right. for, a, for a backup quarterback, did that seem high to you, a, th- a third-rounder? No, no, he, here's how I look at it. I think Sean's got bigger plans than just one-year deal. First mm-hmm. of all, it got really testy in New Orleans this offseason between uh, Drew Brees and them. I mean, it got testy. And Brees has only got one more year left after this contract. So I, I have a feeling that once he gets Teddy in there and he can evaluate Teddy – he feel like, look, I'll, we'll extend him and we'll try to keep him here and make him the quarterback of the future. Not saying that Breeze is not going to honor out the contract, but there'll be a transitional period. The other thing where the risk is not that great is just hypothetically say he leaves. 
if Teddy leaves, he's going to get a starting quarterback salary job. He's going to make probably above $20 million, which then puts him in the compensatory pick element. Oh. And that gets you a third-round pick back. Yeah. So there's really no downside in the deal. I've always wondered about that in New Orleans, how much of it was just gamesmanship versus actual drama, because there's always a rumor that Sean Payton's going to get traded. Uh, there's always a rumor that Drew Brees is, is going to have a protracted holdout. There's, there's some actual drama there, huh? All the time. And so, you know, look, I think Sean's committed to being there now. I think that he's got the team. Look, he's got a really good team. He's got a quarterback that he could build with in the future that he likes, that'll do the things that he does really well in his offense. I mean, it's a perfect trade for New Orleans. You know, should Teddy have gone somewhere? I think Teddy should. I think Tampa should have made the trade for him. But New Orleans is smart. Look, they have no downside in this. They really have no downside. They're going to get a third-round pick back at minimum. Perhaps, you know, maybe 10 picks later than they would have in a, in a draft or a year later, but they're going, to get their, they're going to get their pick back if they don't sign the guy. But at least they have control of him. Hypothetically, let's just say they franchise Teddy for one year. Oh, yeah. They have, they have him for one year. They got Drew Brees. They have a lot of money tied up in quarterbacks. But you know what? They'll have him for another year, and they'll move forward. I, I think it's a really smart play. I think what happens to most teams in the league is what happened to those bankers when they were giving out loans to people that couldn't pay them. There's two ways you look at deals. It's solution-based and sustainable-based. And so when it's just a when it's just solution, but how do I solve the problem today? You give out these horrible loans. When you're looking for sustainability, you say, no, that doesn't work. And the Saints are looking for sustainability here. I think it's a brilliant move. So Khalil Mack hasn't uh, reportedly been involved in any serious negotiations since February. I know that you've reported that the demands are pretty high. What, what is it like as a GM in the front office? What, what do you suppose Reggie is thinking right now? Is it that he knows what their, their needs and demands are, and then it's so far out of whack that he's just refusing to hear anything until he hears something reasonable? You know, I, I think Reggie's in a tough spot. First of all, John's controlling everything. I think Reggie works for John now. So uh, John does, Reggie doesn't have the autonomy to be able just to do whatever he thinks he wants to do here. They didn't give John Gruden $100 million and then let Reggie run the team. I mean, that's, you know, everything Reggie does has to be approved by John. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think here in this situation, they realize that, look, the money's so great that they're going to have to franchise them next year if they want to keep them. And they can't get him to come back to the table. When you ask for two number ones for a player that has to get paid somewhere around $19, $20 million a year, first of all, the team's giving you two ones, which are two cheap picks, right? Two cheaper value picks in exchange to pay handsomely for a player. That's really expensive. That's really expensive to do. So you really don't want to trade the guy when you're asked for two number ones. If you want a one and a three, that's more reasonable, right? You can do that. Because really, when you trade the one, Seth, you're giving away a player for a player you're getting back, right? Mm-hmm. That you know, You're getting something back for it. It isn't like you're giving a one and a three up. It's not two for zero. It's mm-hmm. two for one. And so I think that's the case here. And I think that they got to be, you know, teams aren't going to pay two ones. Would they pay a one and perhaps a three? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the market. Hey, last question is a selfish one because I've been, I've been in media for like five years right now, but I know you had to make this transition at one point. How do you watch games on Sunday? I, I get so overwhelmed every freaking Sunday. <laughs> and I end up spending staying up way too late trying to catch up on everything. 
Well, I try to, you know, look, I, I, I can't watch every. The one thing about I learned in life, you can't do everything, right? So right. you have to pick two games you really want to watch. And then you go back, and, and the good thing is I can watch game tape pretty quickly uh, of the game. So I get those game tapes in, and I can watch them on my iPad. And then I just go back, and, and, and I usually go to a sports bar where I can focus on two games. Because part of what I like to do is watch them manage the game at the same time, you know. So you want to see how the coach is managing the game. Does he understand game situations and how is he handling it and what's happened within the flow of the game. And so that's what I try to do. And, look, it's an ongoing process. But once you get a feel for the teams, it's pretty much it's easier to understand what they're trying to accomplish and how they work through it. But, you, you know, look, you can't watch 15 games on Sunday and know everything within those games. You've got to spend some time on it. And that's what, that's what the week's for. You've got to focus, right. Oh, and watching in real time, you're exactly right. It's really hard to get a sense of her exactly how a game went, even watching on the All-22. I remember the first year Philly came down here to Houston. I'd watched a bunch that week, and I was impressed with a lot of stuff they're doing. But then you get out there and you're watching in the game, and and, and especially in, even on TV, you know it's up tempo. But when you're there in the stadium, and it's like every time you look up, the Eagles are running a play. It's a whole different environment. Yeah, and I think too, you know, sometimes the TV loses track of what's going on. You know, I mean, the other night on ESPN, I mean, Cleveland's in a two-minute drill, and they're talking, they're they're going down the field for an interview. Like, come on, man. Like, let's let's get the game. Let's produce the game to where people can see the game. That's the most important. All right, Michael, have a fun time following all these moves over the last couple of days. Uh, everybody, you can read him now on The Athletic. Uh, you can listen to him on his Ringer podcast and find him a whole bunch of other places. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks. Oh, and the, and the book's coming out in what, two weeks? That's right. We two got, weeks. Well, another week. Uh, this Tuesday, a week from this Tuesday, we'll be out and ready to go. All right, Gridiron Genius, pre-order it now. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks, Seth. So that was Michael Lombardi. Uh, always have a great time talking to him. Uh, very glad that he can join us every week. Mike and uh, Mike and Paul will be joining in on those interviews from now on. For those of you who listen to my radio show in Houston, Mike and Paul, my co-hosts. So we'll have a few Houston questions sprinkled in here and there, keeping mostly nationally focused. And uh, that's what Paul Gallant and I did after we went to a really cool event, the Houston Texans kickoff luncheon where Bill O'Brien and a bunch of the um, the players, all the players, come and they have a, lun- a luncheon for sponsors and various people, including their radio partners, uh, of which Sports Radio 610 is their radio partner, obviously, and uh, had a great time. Paul and I were a little bit punchy, uh, maybe goofier than we typically are, which is a good thing. I told them we need to either start doing this drunk or sleep-deprived or both. That would be the, the magical mixture. But I'm really starting to enjoy these conversations with Paul Galan a lot because I think people get to see a different side of him than they've seen on his radio show before when he was at night and his radio show now where he's on with Mike and I in the morning. Paul Gallant. We've been calling these short attention span Tuesdays. I don't I don't know if I like that or no not. No flow at all with that name. <laughs> yeah. It's SAS, which I said last week it got confusing for people because I said short SAS Stephen A. Smith. And then I realized it was misleading, and for whatever reason, even though it looked kind of like we might be interviewing Stephen A. Smith, that got fewer downloads than your other episodes. Oh, wow. So I don't know what that says. Listen to ESPN. I know you've made some floods with your hiring practices lately. I don't know if my hard data tells you that you've made a mistake with Stephen A. Smith. I doubt it, but... How about Topsy Turvy Tuesday? 
Because you know I love alliteration. Yeah. I love to just ram you it love, down everyone's throat. You love corny alliteration. Yeah. Especially. <laughs> <laughs> like Topsy. Not people denying thought, it. People thought Topsy Turvy was corny in the 50s. I think Topsy Turvy might have been at one point been kind of a slur. If that like ACDC. ACDC used to be a way to say homosexual. Topsy Turvy seems like it might be a way to say homosexual too. You or probably am, could use any term in history. And or am, say, I just, am I projecting myself into the 1950s where, let's be honest, I likely would have been like every other 1950s dude and been uh, homo- homophobic as all get out. I feel like having you having lived on a farm makes you closer to the 1950s than anyone I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was <laughs> thought you were going to take a strange turn into bestiality or something. <laughs> no, <there>. no. <laughs> You thought of it though. <laughs> I, it wasn't my first thought when, I, when it came. Like ah, the farm times were simpler then. Love was easier. <laughs> I, you know, I was listening. I was listening to a podcast about the Black Death, and they were talking about the ways that it was spread. And they talked about rats, and they right. talked about all sorts of things. But also. Uh, Having Simplest? sex with animals. Uh, oh, really? That Having was one of the ways you could get the black play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? Apparently. Uh, frankly, I never. I was never tempted by it, so maybe I'm lucky. I, mean, I never had to fight off the urge of that temptation. Oh, I'm not, look I'm at not, that sheep. I'm not saying I'm better than most people um, <laughs> because I never had to actually fight the temptation or make the choice. Those who have to make the moral choice not to make love to an animal. <laughs> Uh, those are the ones. Those are the true heroes, my friends. Those are the people you can look to. So, Paul, I uh, apologize. We were just interrupted because people thought we were using this studio to, to record something, which we're not. Paul is wearing a suit. I'm wearing nice clothes because uh, Paul and I both came back from the Texans team luncheon, which is a big fancy affair where a bunch of rich people pay money to be able to sit and kind of have like a, a well-dressed pep rally banquet type of thing. And we sat with Alfred Blue. Which was interesting at first because uh, over the years I've had an increasingly affectionate attitude towards Alfred Blue where the first couple years there were times where I'd get very frustrated with Alfred Blue. Over the last couple years I've started to like Alfred Blue as a player but still – you know, I've I've had issues with the way that Bill O'Brien has used him. We've got like two listeners that think I've got it in for Alfred Blue, which makes me uncomfortable. So as soon as Alfred Blue sat down, I was like, I hope I hope he's not one of the people, or like I hope his father or mother or somebody isn't one of the people that like thinks I have it in for Alfred Blue. Here, here's here's probably the correct way to think about Alfred Blue, and I think everyone has their own opinion on him. But Alfred Blue is a really good backup running back yeah. that is used a lot more than a backup running back typically is, sometimes due to injury, but also sometimes because Bill O'Brien feels for whatever reason that he wants to give Alfred Blue a series instead of Deontay Foreman like we saw a lot last season. And I, I think that because of that, people get a little pissed off that he's in the game. And then you hear about the fact that he's a special teams key contributor and you don't really see him do a whole lot outside of in his first game when he had the block punt and didn't he score a touchdown on said block punt yeah. maybe he didn't even I block it I, yeah, that's a really long to, time in the look, past look, it's a look at, he gets a bad uh, rap but it was a, so it, it was a new it was a situation that I find myself in sometimes and this is the hardest part for me is somebody that's in sports media now is like being next to somebody that maybe you criticized at one point and your immediate thought is like, does this guy know I criticized him? And am I kind of a fraud if I don't bring it up? So uh, I brought it up. You did. I did. I talked about, uh, I, you know, I said, look, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I see a lot of myself in you when you were a younger player because it seems like he's a guy that always thought too much before he would make a decision. And I ended up having a really good conversation with him. He said that, 
he would when he would be running, he says your body sees things before your eyes do. And that there's times in the past where maybe he cut left and thought, why am I cutting left? And ends up cutting the back way and running into a tackle. And then when you watch it on film, he would see like, oh, I cut left because there was somebody that had an angle on me that I just sensed it even before I actually knew it. So like I was thinking my way through running, like in running back is probably one of the most instinctive things on a football field. It was really cool because I'd never heard it quite explained that way. And uh, I'm glad that I was honest with him because we actually – he taught me something. I'm, I'm glad that you guys got to have that conversation. I was excluded from being near Alfred Blue because I was two seats down, and I could hear nothing at this, at this, at this luncheon that we were at. I was trying really hard at first to listen to what he was saying. I could not hear a damn thing. I will say this about Alfred Blue, and, and, and that's interesting, too, that you mentioned the decisiveness that he's had. I feel like now he's really good at just going where open space is. Like He doesn't really try to do anything too fancy. Yeah. He sees a little bit of open space space and he kind of just goes there and you know that is a skill in its own right go as far north as you possibly can every time you got the ball so uh before we interrupted we were talking about Odell Beckham Jr. he's the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL now and and people are nervous about this people think money a lot of lot of money I see a lot of frankly a lot of my old friends, like my agent above, that are in the media, um, or people that might have been coached by old school Belichickian type dudes or Tom Coughlin dudes, wondering what's he going to do when he has all this money. I don't know if I've gotten soft, or maybe I've been corrupted by Hollywood or something. I don't care. Like I, I think Odell Beckham Jr. is a diva in the way that. NFL receivers used to be divas. You used to glorify the diva. You used to think that, okay, this guy's a little out there. He's a little different, but he's magnificent. And I think he's almost a throwback in a way. Not a throwback to like the 60s, but maybe a throwback to the 70s and 80s. I have no problem with someone having a good time off of the field. I have a good time when I'm out of work. I probably have too much of a good time when I'm when I'm not at work. I, I gave myself a concussion this weekend, for God's sake. That's, that's neither here nor there. That was from a little bit of excess drinking. The real thing that I, I, I see as a possible issue for Odell Beckham Jr. is that I think that he's got some judgment issues and I don't think that he has really had to make a whole lot of things from a judgment perspective over the last year because yeah. he's been so focused on one thing, which is getting back to 100% so he can get back on the field so he can get paid. Now he's been paid and I wonder like what happens when you have gone through such a arduous path back to being healthy and you finally get what you've been looking for all this time, yeah. what you've been talking about all this time, thinking about holding out for all this time. Now what? What uh, happens you now? You know what? I, I'm glad I sat next to Albert Blue today because we talked about Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, and they were the same age. Albert Blue came into the league the same time as, as Tyron Matthew, and he talked about how when Tyron Matthew came into the league, he hadn't been a five-star – excuse me, when he came into LSU, he hadn't been a five-star recruit. The only scholarship he was offered was LSU, if I remember correctly. And when all of a sudden he became a big deal very early on on that campus – and it's not just that campus. It's in the environment of Louisiana and Orleans. That, like all of that. He just he wasn't ready for it. And if you've ever been to Louisiana, there is, especially during football season, there really is something different when it comes to the LSU Tigers. Like that 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 whole state, they just breathe that yeah. shit. It's it's crazy. So I think with Odell Beckham Jr., he's already had that time, and not just. Not just, you know, LSU or anything like that. He's had the attention and the adulation for a long time now. From college 
on through several years in the NFL. I think, and he's, I think a little different, though, at LSU because you have to, you have to remember, like for whatever reason, those LSU's teams had so many great offensive players, yeah. and for whatever reason, they couldn't put it together. Where with Tyron Matthew, Tyron Matthew was a countrywide phenomenon. Not quite to the extent of Johnny Manziel, but definitely in the same ballpark. Although Beckham Jr. was considered a first-round draft pick for a long period of time, and everyone knew about all of his athletic yeah. prowess because of what he was doing. What was it, hurdles or sprinting? I forget. Like I know well, he was, he was a track making, star, He was too. making one-handed catches, right, too. Yeah, that, 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 that was one of the most annoying things about Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie year was – the, the one catch against the Cowboys. No, and it other was ones too. it was every time somebody showed a highlight, you'd have to hear from forty LSU fans like, "Well, if you've been watching, you'd have seen this already. Everybody knows he can do it." Oh, I, I almost <laughs> wonder if they confused Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry because Jarvis yes. Landry is much more of a one-handed catching machine. Jarvis Landry does it to a point where I feel it's annoying. I, I think it's irresponsible. It's show off. He does sometimes. Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> I hate that stupid term. Oh. Moving on to hard knocks. It's a good segue, actually. Uh, I feel like this hard knocks has become the avenue by which a bunch of different players and coaches think they're going to be a tough guy. I think that Greg Williams, I mean, that's just his whole shtick. I think Todd Haley, I think Hugh Jackson a little bit now almost because he well, jumped he into to. the fray. That's right. He has to he be the guy. Like a, he looks like a bitch right he, now. He looks like, right, I know. It looks like, <laughs> like the inmates are running the asylum yeah. yet again. So he does have to be watchful of that. And then Jarvis Landry, who I don't know, maybe he did have this reputation. I should have asked Alfred Blue about that. Uh, did he have this reputation at LSU? Was he hardcore? I'm going to call people bitches and uh, say that they're cowards he, or whatever. Yeah, he he he's he's definitely definitely. It seems like everyone's trying a little bit too hard on this season of Hard Knocks, and Hugh Jackson seems also at the same time like a captain who is trying to uh, delay a mutiny as long as he possibly can. But inevitably, the the ship is going to run into a storm, and the sailors that are aboard are going to lose their minds, and they're all going to throw them overboard. And then it'll be either Todd Haley, or it'll be Greg Williams, or somebody else that's involved. Uh, I don't know. The, the situation matters so much in a team. And it's, it's the owner, it's the GM, it's the head coach. And I wonder what's going to happen with Pat Shermer in New York, where he has to be the... Guardian and taskmaster for Odell Beckham Jr. I really don't think it's going to be as big a deal as a lot of people are afraid of. I mean, for one, yeah, think about Odell Beckham Jr. and maybe how he looked at Ben McAdoo. You know, do you think it? Do you think that Ben McAdoo commanded the kind of respect where Odell Beckham Jr., if he had a talking to from Ben McAdoo, was going to maybe say like, "All right, maybe I'll calm it down a little bit on the sidelines, or maybe it doesn't have to be this way or that way." I don't know. I'm 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 not 100% yeah, sure how anyway. McAdoo coached o Odell Beckham Jr. All I know is I know what Ben McAdoo looks like and I know if I'm Odell <laughs> Beckham Jr. or I'm dressing really well and I and, and I've got a look about me. I'm probably looking at Ben McAdoo with a little bit of a weird eye. Poor Ben McAdoo. No. Oh, come on. Ben McAdoo's eye. Uh, he never did he anything. He can't be that stylishly in, stylishly incompetent for that long. Like that late into life. Who's the I used to be stylishly you're incompetent. You're a Patriots fan. Was there ever a point where Bill Belichick actually looked good? I feel like he looked more professional early on. I guess he at least wore the standard coaching stuff right. where he would uh, he could wear a, a golf shirt and coaching pants. Exactly, bike yeah. Coaching yeah, pants. At, 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 at first I feel like he did look the part. Now he looks like a hobo that somehow has got onto the field and no one in security for whatever reason is doing. Hugh Jackson says Baker Mayfield will thank him one day for sitting him to start the season. Will Baker Mayfield 
thank Hugh Jackson one day for sitting him to start the season? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I think Hugh Jackson won't thank himself yeah. because Hugh Jackson should put Baker Mayfield out there. I think if you want to keep your job for a long period of time, you want to put out something that inspires hope. And Terod Taylor, who seems like a very nice guy and a player that you would want to play with, yeah. doesn't seem like the kind of person that is going to keep Hugh Jackson as a head coach in this league any further, where a rookie like Baker Mayfield, I think, would. And and don't, don't we try to learn from past experiences, and, and in particular, like, take a comparison, like, Baker Mayfield versus Deshaun Watson. I thought Mayfield's the best quarterback coming into this year's draft because he actually played well at the college level in big-time spots like Deshaun Watson had the year before. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make it simplistic this year. The guy who actually played well in big-time games, I'm going to guess that that guy is going to be the best quarterback coming into the year. Okay, well, at the same front, Deshaun Watson, after a half, was clearly the answer at quarterback for the Texans. Why isn't Baker Mayfield the answer at quarterback right now when everyone knows what Terod Taylor is? Yeah, I I know that he's the answer and everybody knows he's the answer. I veer more towards the side of letting guys rest just because the harm, including with Deshaun Watson, is what is the harm? Are you going to win the Super Bowl this year with your rookie quarterback? Are you more concerned with that or are you concerned with the long-term development? I mean, I look at, I look at the Cleveland Browns. And I still wonder exactly what they have at wide receiver other than Jarvis Landry because Josh Gordon's showing up this week, and who knows who knows what he smells like when he sweats right now. I don't know what he's sweating out of his pores or what's going on. And I don't, make, I don't mean to make light of whatever issues he has. It's just he's a complete mystery. The coaches didn't know he was going to be there. And who knows if he's even going to be there available for week one because the NFL could come down with a suspension at any moment, don't they, you feel? They claim that he's cleared to go. Okay, to okay. Go. So okay, well, then, as, unless that's the I case. didn't hear anything. Oh, speaking of all that, I can't make fun of anybody with substance abuse issues now Why? because I was – not that I should have before. Did I didn't make a habit out of it. I'm watching this Amy Winehouse documentary on Netflix, and it's so sad, and you get so angry when you're watching her go through all this where she's just a complete mess. She's like cutting herself with bottles and everything, and then they clip they, – they jump to like Jay Leno – making stupid corny jokes, which I wouldn't – look, you can make fun of it and it can be funny. It was just like a stupid corny Jay Leno joke where you know it's coming along. Uh, Amy Winehouse is releasing a cookbook. It's, you know, cooking heroin, cooking meth, uh, yeah, and as this whole – and then you see what's when in reality. Yeah. When in and reality, then they show her like apartment. No, no, it's just I, I got angry with Jay Leno that it was such a stupid joke. It was just a bad joke. Like you could see it coming a mile away. You're an Amy Winehouse cookbook joke, and then he pauses because you're about to hear such greatness, and you're just thinking like, okay, get to it, get through this joke. I know exactly what this joke is. The days of late night television. I, this is what I think of when I think of Jay Leno, and 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 I think of Dave Letterman too. And maybe I shouldn't put them in the same category. I know that there are a lot of people that are that are aficionados when it comes to late night TV. The late night TV era it, it just completely passed me by. I don't know like I know I know that people loved Dave Letterman. Yeah. I know that people thought Jay Leno had a big chin and I know that now all late night television is either Jimmy Fallon awkwardly trying to avoid talking about politics or everyone else having the exact same opinion about politics. It's it's turned it's, into it's something that's not good. I think like even the Daily Show the first incarnation of The Daily Show was with Craig Kilborn, mm-hmm. who I'm guessing is probably the least political person on earth. Like, he's classic just frat boy, uh, you know, don't don't bother me with substance or anything. I'm just having a good time, baby, that, like that kind of guy. And it was really funny. I got into that when I was in college. And then when John Daly came along, it slowly turned into 
political humor to where it was it wasn't like that when he first took over. You take a few shots every now and then. The Daily Show with with Colbert back to back in its prime. That was that's the only late night TV that I ever watched, and I thought to myself, okay, I like this. The late night television. It, it felt like you were getting away with something when you stayed up to watch it when you were a kid, like growing up on the East Coast. But it was also you were miserable the next day. Um, but it was the only thing out there. It's hard to be funny anymore because there's so much funny stuff. Like, there were only so many comedians on TV telling jokes, and there was only so many cassette tapes you could buy. Like, you could buy Eddie Murphy, and I'd listen to Eddie Murphy for, you know, a six months before you might buy somebody else. So that was all you heard, where now you turn on YouTube and there's 20 hilarious things just by Googling baby goat videos. I don't know how you compete with that. I don't know. So, and I don't know. Conan O'Brien does a good job of it, like some of these really, truly professional joke writer comedians. But I'm not going to stay up late to watch it. Yeah, I, 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 I feel now it's turned into can we get two or three viral clips? And if those viral clips work – Cool. If they don't, yeah. Oh well. On to tomorrow. And and I think that sports on TV has sort of turned into that as well. Yeah. I mean, I I think that uh, Nick Wright show first things first has done a very good job, and Colin Coward show too does a pretty good job of finding a clip that will get reaction, posting it instead of saying, "Hey, watch the entirety of this show." We're gonna give you a three minute clip as opposed to the thirty minutes to two hours yeah. to three hours or however long these shows take. All right, uh, we're both exhausted because we had a long day, and then we went to this luncheon, and then poor Valford Blue had to sit there through it with us. So <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Hey, um, no problem. We'll, this uh, is quite all over the place. This is uh, we're, we're all over the place, and I'm sweating because it's. Fucking, excuse my language. It, it's just, it's so hot in here. This and studio it, doesn't have air conditioning right, control. We gotta, we gotta go. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> you okay? No, I'm dying. I'm like dehydrated. I feel dehydrated too. Uh, okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.